0: So today's scripture reading is from, sorry, uh, 1 Samuel 8. Uh, we'll be reading 1 through 9, and then 19 through to 22. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as judges for Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second one was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways, they turned aside after dishonest gain, and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, You are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, Give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly, and let them know what the king who will reign over them will do. And then on to 19. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all other nations, with the king to lead us and to go out before us and to fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people had said, he repeated it before the Lord, and the Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. Then Samuel said to the men of Israel, everyone...
1: I would invite you to have your Bible open or a phone app, whatever you have on you to first simulate, because that is where we will be focusing this morning. And as I begin, I would invite you to pray
0: with me. And I'm going to start with a moment of silence. Lord, we ask that you would speak to us
1: today. Many of us are in very different places. Some of us had busy weeks, some of us had quiet weeks, some of us are dealing with the stresses pervading in work and family and in the world. Some of us are not quite thinking about those things today, whatever it might be, Lord. But what you have to say to us is what we need today, Lord. We come each and every week for worship, back to you, that we would be given what we need to live out this life in the world. So we pray, Lord, that you would provide for us today. Speak, for your servants are listening. And may the words in my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you. Amen. There are sometimes these days that you don't quite simply just, you can't forget Days that happen in your life that are sealed in your memory, and that whenever your mind, whenever you let your mind drift back, or maybe your mind just insists you go back, you remember all the details where you were, who you were with. And one of those days for me, which is a little strange for me, and I'll explain why at least a little bit, is this haunting experience on November 8th, 2016. November 8th, 2016 was when I was living in the States. I was living in Alabama, doing a special drive up to Nashville for a seminary event, and I was driving back from that seminary event to Birmingham where I lived at the time. But it was also election day. It was election day on November 8th, 2016, driving back, and I remember just feeling so shocked and so confused. And I am not a person that talks about politics. You really won't even hear me talk too much about politics. And yet this kind of thing where I was, so you probably didn't experience it the same way, but it's how I experienced it. It was something that could not go unnoticed in my life. As much as I wanted to avoid politics at all costs, it could not go unnoticed. The tremors of it went throughout all society because this was when Donald Trump was elected. And the reason I say that is because how I experienced that night and what I felt was happening in my community and around just the world in general is that it was a reaction to many people who feel like they had lost power. They had lost some sense of control and some sense of power and that they were doing everything in this moment to reach out for an answer, someone to give them back the power, someone to give them back the control wanting everything they could do to get the influence back. And so when I look back at that night and all my sort of visceral memories about it, it's not about the issues, but it's about the hopes built up in a specific person. And, you know, anything I say about the U.S., I try to always know that you have to really contextualize it. Canada is completely different. But then what I've also seen in Canada is that just like what I've seen in the country I came from, that anyone anywhere is tempted by the allure of the idea of a leader to come in and make all the problems go away. A leader to come in and give everybody back what they want. Isn't that what leaders are supposed to do? Isn't that what everybody deserves? Just someone to come in and give us what we want. And that trend, which is not just in the States, it's here in Canada, it's across the entire world, anywhere you look, is also what we're reading about in chapter eight. We're reading about this moment in time where the people feel like they've lost something or they feel like they want something and they want to do everything they can to get it back. And what chapter eight does, what that trend in the world does, however you understand it, that that moment of asking our actions, it reveals who we desire to be king over our lives. Our actions, what we ask for, what you desire, it reveals what you ultimately want to be king over our lives. So, everyone today, we're all here together. There is something that is competing to be like your, the prevailing identity of your lives that wants to be king of your life. And our actions, what you do, reveals that. So, First Samuel eight kind of exposes it for the people we're reading about. We're in this series in 1 Samuel. The people of God, they've been following Samuel as a judge and a prophet, and what they ask in this chapter, it exposes what they actually want. And I actually say that it actually can expose what we actually want if we allow God to use that for us today. So as a way of beginning, I want to recap where we are, because as Ed kind of tipped us off, there's these kind of echoes, and we've been jumping around a little bit. Last week, we looked at the section of chapters where uh, the people of God, they pulled out an ark to try to win a battle, and then they lost the ark. God let them lose the battle, and they let them lose the ark. And what he was doing, God was letting them fail, that they would realize how much they actually need God. Something similar is happening today. In between that section and chapter 8, which is chapter 7 if you have your book open, really great things are happening. Like it's actually a time of renewal is happening because all the bad stuff happened. The people of God feel really beat up. And what it says is he leads them into a time of renewal. They actually get back to God. It's a time of repentance. They're committing to the Lord. And the Lord, with the praise of his people, he allows them to defeat the people they were trying to beat, the Philistines, And in verse 14 in chapter seven, it says there was peace. Imagine a time when there was peace. This was the way God's people were intended to live, living united with God. And all they just need to do is to be close with God. That's the key. All you just need to do is to be close with God. Samuel was the prophet and judge, but in chapter 7, he's the intercessor, which is maybe not normally a word you use every day, but his role is just to pray for the people. That's all he has to do, just to pray for the people and allow and lead the people to be close with God. That's all that's needed. But in chapter 8, it pivots. The cycle repeats of what people expect of a leadership, of what people expect. And what we find is that they're worried about Samuel because he's getting older. They're worried about Samuel because he's getting older. Whatever renewal happened, it faded a little bit. And what Samuel did at the very beginning of chapter eight is kind of giving us a tip. Okay, so Samuel is trying to prepare for the future, so he started getting his sons involved to take care of the people, but his sons start making some really bad calls. They start leading by dishonest gain. They start taking bribes. And even just the language around it, it says they pervert justice. That's what it says in verse three. They're perverting justice in the world. Those are not leaders. Those are not leaders. So that's the reality is that his sons are not gonna be able to lead Israel like he did. It happened with the priests. Ed mentioned Eli's sons in chapter two. They weren't gonna be able to lead the people to God. And so now all the people, and it's a big deal, all the elders of Israel, this does not happen that often in the history of Israel. All the elders get together, and I'm reading from verse 4 and 5 in chapter 8, so all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah, and they said to him, you are old, they did not put it lightly, (laughs) you are old, your sons do not follow your ways, now appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. Samuel's reaction kind of tells a lot about what's happening in this moment. Samuel is displeased, which the literal in the Hebrew, displeased, it means that he looked upon it with e- evil eyes. <laughs> like, this was evil in the eyes of Samuel. But Samuel makes some good calls. I, you know, if anything, like, it's a good call in this moment. You think, wow. All the people that I'm trying to serve and lead just came up to me and wanted to out me, wanted to out my sons, and want to ask for the most unthinkable thing. They want a king. He could have just reacted. He actually does a good thing. He decides to wait on the Lord. He goes to the Lord and asks. So wise. In your life, when you feel so thrown off, pushed, and you want to react and push back, it's so good that before you do anything, you just go to the Lord and ask, what what would you have me do? And this is what God told him. Verse seven, chapter eight. And the Lord told him, listen to all that the people have, are saying to you. It's not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. They have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you now, Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly. Listen to them and warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. So what's very interesting at this moment, God's very clear that the people are rejecting him as king by wanting another king, very clear about it. But it's also the case that God predicted that the people would ask for a king. That's in Deuteronomy 17. I have a few verses to share with you here. Even before First Samuel, God predicted that at one point in time you're going to ask for a king. It's in Deuteronomy 17, and I'm going to read from verse 14. When you enter the land of your God is giving you and have taken possession of it and settled it, you and say and you say, "Let us set a king over us over like all the nations around us. Be sure to appoint over you a king the Lord your God chooses. So it's already predicting that, one, you're going to ask for a king at one day. Make sure you appoint the king that God chooses. And then a few verses after that, it gives all these sort of stipulations about, okay, if you're going to have a king, this is the kind of king you need. This is the kind of king you need. If you're going to have a king, this is the kind of king you need. It needs to be a fellow Israelite, so one of you, not a foreigner, and This king must not acquire great horses. (laughs) He says, you know, the king should not have too many horses for himself. The king must not take too many wives for himself, must not acquire too much wealth for himself. Otherwise, his heart will be led astray because he will be living for himself. There's other warnings too, not just about the wealth piece about how that would become a king for a king's sake, not a king for God's sake or for the people's sake, but also a king after God's heart. Deuteronomy 17, verse 18 says this. When he takes this kingdom, so it's kind of assuming it's gonna happen eventually, he is to write for himself a scroll, a copy of this law, taken from that of the Levitical priests. So take the law, have it with him, And it is to be with him. He is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of his law and these decrees and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites. A king that doesn't consider himself better than the people he leads or to turn from the law to the right or to the left. It is the image of a king that follows perfectly God's way. That is the kind of king that God wants to give to his people. A king who follows the law, the way of life perfectly, meditating day and night. So they ask, what's wrong with the ask? It even said that they might ask. But it's not just that they ask for a king, but it is the motives behind why they asked for a king. And what it is, and we fall, we, we happens to anyone, anyone here at any age, we fall prey to this, and it is the comparison trap. It's that I am trying to live my best life at this moment, but wow, I don't have what this other person has. That person has way more friends. That person's job gives them the ability to do all these other kind of vacations, but I'm just stuck here. I can't do any of that. I'm stuck in the middle. What do, you know? If God loves me, why don't I have those things? It's this comparison trap, and I imagine Israel at this time, they're thinking, you know, we're a small nation, but can we be like the best one? Can we just be like the best one? What do we need to become the best nation? Well, I think we probably need a king like everybody else. So what does their ask reveal? It reveals that they would rather have a king as a substitute than be a people committed to God. They would rather execute their own plans, come up with their own plans and execute them rather than waiting and praying for God. And they would want a king like everybody else, but they want a king that's for them, not for anyone else. The perception, they want this perception because they don't wanna just be a people without power, prestige, and purpose, and they believe that a human king is gonna get them there. A human king is gonna help them be prosperous when that's not true at all. Just like the ark, and just like this moment, people being discouraged, disorientated, frustrated, pushed out, instead of reacting with their own plan, they don't cry out to God. They fail to cry out to God and ask, God, what would you have us do? What would you have us do? So, going back to chapter eight, God is basically tells Samuel what to do, and you heard it in the verses. He says to listen to them. Listen to them and warn them. Uh, There was a few verses that weren't read for us at the beginning. It's verses 10 through 18. And what those verses are saying is, and what um, Samuel goes to tell all the people, is he goes to tell them, this is what's going to happen if you have a king. He's going to live by his own king's rights. And what that means is that if you're going to have a king, he's going to take your sons and put them in battle. If you're gonna have a king, he's gonna take your daughters and he's gonna make sure that they work in his palace. If you're gonna have a king, he's gonna tax you, he's gonna take the best of your harvest, he's gonna take the best of your servants and of your cattle and all of your belongings because then it's gonna become more about putting up the monarchy, putting up more about his kingly right than it is about anything good for you. If you're gonna have a king, that's gonna happen. And I think how many leaders in the world today do this? They take advantage of their power for greater gain for themselves. All over the world, corrupt leadership. I think of how applicable the Bible is in this, that true, like kings that we see in the world fall prey to sin, fall prey to corruption, and they fail us. Israel refuses to listen with all those warnings, which maybe many of us would hear those warnings and just start running the other way, like, I don't want this. But for some reason, they stick with it. They say, no, we want a king over us like all the other nations, a king to lead us, a king to go before us, and a king to battle for us, a king to do everything for us. And at the same time, they don't see that God has already done this for them. The first song we worship today is about that story of God bringing Egypt out of, the people out of Egypt, out of captivity. They don't see how God's fought for them in all seasons of life, how God's fought for them and is fighting for them today. They don't see it. God's response at the very end of our chapter says, listen to them. Give them a king. And the chapter ends not with a lot of hope. It ends with this, like, somber, wow, this, this doesn't sit right in my gut. This doesn't sit right in my gut, this idea that, no, God, God relents and he's given them what they want, but I don't think something good is going to come out of this. So what is asking for a king, what does it look like in your life when you ask for a king? What does that expose? What does that say? So, well, what does that say? Well, I think about the legends of kings, like King Arthur, this, this idea of a king, this idyllic king that lived in the past, that when he was in place in Camelot, everything in the kingdom was good. Or if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, there was always a promise in all the books written by Tolkien that there would be a true king of the north that one day would return back to Middle-earth and make everything good. His hands would be healing hands. There's this allure, this idea of a king that will come to truly deliver people. Because the track record for human kings is horrible. The track record for human leaders in the world today and in all of history is horrible. And First Samuel is gonna show us that. We keep reading in the Old Testament. We're gonna see all these kings put in this place to do a lot of great things. And they do the absolute worst thing and they lead people away from God. One of the people I read this week that I found so helpful just talking about First Samuel 8 is a person named Dale Ralph Davis. He's an Old Testament scholar, and I have two things I wanted to show from you because he had really good things to say. So this is the first one up here. He talks about how people are pursuing mechanical solutions that are actually for spiritual problems. We have a tendency to assess our problems mechanically rather than spiritually. So it's try, like trying to fix a car as opposed to dealing with a spiritual problem or something like that. Our first impulse is to assume there is something wrong with our techniques. Don't have the right tool. Don't have, something's, you know, I don't have the right part. So then they think the need is for adjustment, not repentance. There is something wrong in the system that needs doctoring. How easy it is for even energetic evangelicals. This is the quote that got me. How easy for even energetic evangelicals to look for a new gimmick rather than to cry out for a new heart. How easy is it for us to just like, can we just reach out for the new thing? The new thing that's gonna promise something better. Can we just reach out for the new thing as opposed to crying out for a new heart? And instead of looking for God for help, we're not even interested in what God has to offer us for help because we've already decided what that help looks like. And just like the ark last week, which might have been an interesting sort of, you know, you know, just learning about the ark last week. Just like that and this week, God is willing to let his people fail so they learn how much they need him. Another comment from the same guy I just quoted, he said this, sometimes God's greatest kindness is in not answering our prayers exactly the way we desire. Not answering our prayers. We make kings and queens out of anyone today. I, I'm a big sports fan. I'm a, I'm a fan of the NBA. If you like NBA, I'll be happy to talk basketball with you. I can't really do as good with hockey. I'll try. And and we, and you know, you can look at anything, celebrity culture. Anyone that we really put up on a pedestal, whether they're actually a political leader or just a celebrity leader, any of these people we lift up and we make them a king. We make them a queen. And we even pretend to be kings. We even pretend to be queens. And the truth is we're made for this. We we need a king. We're made, we're built for a king, someone to prevail and lead in our lives. And the truth is that there's only one true king. There's only one true king who can rule the world perfectly. And if humanity wants to experience hope and freedom and fullness of life, it is through the reign of this one true king. And there will never be lasting peace and prosperity unless we distance ourselves from the human kings, the false promises, everything that they offer us and yield to God. This king is Jesus. He came humbly in the form of a man. And just as chapter eight reveals, just as Jesus reveals, we are exposed. Our desires are exposed. And he does this so that we could find full belonging in God. Some of us are doing a reading plan through gospel Mar- the Gospel of Mark, and we just finished up. So, good job finishing up if you made it through Mark. And uh, Mark is a beautiful, it's the shortest gospel, but it has this zero focus in. I mean, it's, it's, it's really focused in on this idea of Jesus as the king. Because in the beginning, it makes it really clear, the first verse, the gospel is about the good news about Jesus Christ, who is the Messiah, the Son of God. In the very first chapter, Jesus says, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And it's this decided announcement to everyone in Mark, especially the first eight chapters, that is trying to tell us about Jesus' identity as the king over all things, the king over all places, the king over all nations. And there's this moment when Jesus is talking to Peter, and maybe you've had this moment in your life. Everybody is saying what they think I am, but who do you say I am? He says this to Peter Who do you say I am? Who do you think I am? And Peter responds You are the Messiah, the Christ, which is, in his words, the way of saying, You are the King. And that same chapter, Mark 8, this is what Jesus says to a crowd, but he's with his disciples. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross to follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. And he says in verse 38, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his father's glory with the holy angels. There is something powerful to this moment where the Holy Spirit is revealing who Jesus is to the disciples. And at the same time, he's saying, if you wanna follow me, if you wanna follow me as king in your life, you will have to give up your life completely. If you really wanna receive this news as good news, you will have to give your life away. But the gift, and there's a quote by Tim Keller that I just think is so powerful from a book about the gospel of Mark. He says, the gospel is not about choosing to follow advice. It's about being called to follow a king. Not just someone with the power and authority to tell you what needs to be done, but someone with the power and authority to do what needs to be done. And then offer, to you, offer it to you as good news. Jesus came as a king. He announced himself as the arrival of the king. This is the good news that Jesus has come. He is here. He announced this to deal with the problem of sin, to set the captives free, to set people free from this narrative that we're locked into a way of always being failed by all the leaders in our worlds, of always being failed by our hopes, our just our, our disordered loves that I, I think about was talked about last month. We're being failed by all of these things. And then Jesus comes to us and he says, I'm the king. You don't have to look anywhere else. And Jesus exposes the fact that we go for easy substitutes. We go for things that we think will help us in the short run, but they don't. They fail us. And he exposes those things that we could choose to follow him with our complete lives, just like Mark 8 talks about it. So how I'd like to close is I wanna look at three ways you could take home, three things you could pray about this week, three things that really will, I hope will guide you as you think about if you wanna follow Jesus, this is what it looks like to follow him as king. So the first one is this. We must not settle or seek for substitutes, but embrace the identity in Christ. We must not settle or seek for substitutes, but embrace our identity in Christ. You know, each of us are gonna run into these moments where you you kind of look at someone else's life, context, someone else's church, and you think, wow, why, 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 why can't I be a part of that? Why can't my life look like that? And those desires immediately are about what I can have, what I can do, what my life looks like, and not about who I am and who I will be because of who Jesus is. And we must struggle with this is a struggle that the people of god like what they did in the first in the chapter before chapter 8 like that renewal process is about being set apart it's about being set apart leviticus 192 9, 2, 192 it says be holy because the lord your god is holy which is another way of saying be different because i'm different you're going to follow jesus the king you have to embrace this identity of being set apart as different and for his good and if you're looking for freedom and wholeness, it means following him into the differences. There will be places in life where, you know, you, you might be tempted to be ashamed for following Jesus. And God looks at you and says, no, follow me as king. This will be a challenge. It will be difficult. But I will give you strength, and I'm setting you free ultimately in it. I think about baptism and what it means and connected with This because everything about baptism i think as a parent I think of my kids it's like i don't want to do offer them substitutes and i'm sure you don't substitutes for this way of life for what the good is in life when it there's high stakes as a parent in the sense of what you offer your kids what you say it matters i want to offer them the real stuff the real promised king who is with them who came for them so no substitutes, because that's how we, bring it, we, we take on and embrace this identity of following Christ. It's like, I am a child of God. I am a sinner, I am a humble sinner, but I'm also forgiven, and I'm set free, and I've been given gifts, I've been given passions, and I'm gonna share them with the world around me. That's the first thing. How can you not settle for substitutes and embrace the identity in Christ? My second la- point to pray about, to reflect about this week is this. We must be open to God's response and timing rather than insisting on our own. We must be open to it rather than insisting on our own. Whatever God has to say. You you start praying and you're realizing, wow, I actually have already told God what to do in my prayer. That might not have been the right prayer to say. (laughs) Maybe the prayer more wanted to reveal what was going on in here and here. And we wanna be good ideas people. If you think about that, you wanna have a good ideas Of like, this is what's gonna work. This is what's gonna make everything work. Good ideas, rather than the posture, which is a lot harder for many of us, of crying out to God. Rather than saying, God, I don't know what's going on in my life. I think I got it figured out. Let me tell you what I think. Is that good? You know, it's not wrong to come up with ideas that make sense. There's logic to it, but it's important when we pray, and if we're about following Jesus as king, that We also say what the Psalms talks about, our ways are not your ways. Our thoughts are not his thoughts. And what we think and know at one point in time, it changes in the next. But God is the same today and forever. So rushing, you know, it's it's easy when you think about a problem, you run into a problem and you wanna fix it. Who here is a good problem fixer? Jesus is the best problem fixer. Man, Jesus is the good Sunday school answer here. But I know, I know my heart, and there's people here, you wanted to fix problems. Want to fix problems. I get it. But sometimes, even if you have the right idea, the rushing towards the fixing of the problem shows you're, you're not ready for the outcome. It shows you're not ready for the gift of finding a way for that to be healed, for that to be provided for, because you're leaning on your own strength. You're leaning on your own ability to make things right in the world and not trusting in the king. The third one, and it's more of a summative one. We must accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. We must accept Jesus as King. And let me say what I mean by this, because I think this is actually very important. For some of us, if you can get past the point, you're like, I'm okay with Jesus as Savior. I would prefer to be able to save myself, rescue myself. I would prefer that. But to be honest, I'm okay with it. Jesus has come; He's died for me. He's given me what He's forgiven me of my sins. I I can accept that. I'm more comfortable with that. Wow! I'm set free because of Jesus. Amen. But we are hesitant sometimes to see Jesus as Lord, and those are different. To be to 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 relate to Jesus as Savior is to say you're the rescuer, but to relate to Jesus as Lord is to say I'm going to submit my life to this King. I'm gonna give him my, the ultimate authority over my life. I'm gonna give him the capacity to tell over me in my life what is good and what is not good. And I'm gonna give him the ability to tell me no. That is what it means to have Jesus as Lord and Savior. And at times, it's easy to just limit Jesus' role, but he intends and is so much more for us. He is the Lord and Savior who reigns throughout heaven and earth and wants to reign in your life. He wants to lead your life, meet you in your areas where the human kings have failed you, where your hopes and plans have failed you. And instead of leaving you in those places, he wants to set you free and lead you to the life abundant. As I think about us responding, I'm gonna invite our worship team to come forward. And I just wanna go back to that moment where I, this, it happened. You know, this president was elected on November 8th. And I just think about these revealing moments and what they are for us. And I don't know if you've had any. I hope you have because they're so powerful. Is there are these moments that are like mirrors to our soul. They reveal what's happening deep. Within, Man, I really am trying to fix the problems in my life. I am really not okay with my life looking as messy as it is right now. And just like 1 Samuel 8, I'm gonna quote Deloitte Davis again because I think it's so good. 1 Samuel 8, the gospel, Jesus, is a mirror. It reveals Israel and you, how easily you misplaced your trust, how ashamed you are to be different. How resistant to any word that does not agree with your opinion, there you are revealed. And so what I challenge you to, what I free you to, because God loves you and desires this for you, is that you would embrace Jesus as a king, but a king with no substitutes in your life. And that also it would mean that you can't be king, that you can't be the king of your life, that Jesus must be the Lord and Savior. But if you let him be king. He will set you free. Let him do what you can't do, what others can't do, and let him
0: lead you. Please pray with me.
1: Lord, I just confess, as I think about a room that we are in together, that many of us are in different places of relating to you. And so I just pray, even if it's helpful for you to pray with me, Um, Jesus, I pray that you would reveal to me how you are the king of the world. Jesus, I pray that you would reveal to me how you want to be king of other parts of my life that I haven't given over to you. I pray, Lord, you would show me the substitutes. I pray, Lord, that you would help me see you as Lord and Savior. I pray, Lord, that I would pray and be willing to wait but I also pray, Lord, that everyone does hear and receive and see you today. And that not only that, that revelation enough is a gift, but that you, by your spirit, would empower each person here to follow you, to set them free from all the failed kings, all the failed promises, all the failed hopes, and instead you would be their king. Because you love them. You
0: are the king of kings. In Jesus' name, amen.